I'm chasing a lot of things and I just find that that keeps me going, that keeps me motivated. That's what makes me want to keep going and striving for more. And then the more I start to change and I can start to see the change in those around me, drives me even more to want to keep changing because it's really cool when you can share something with someone and then you start to see that they're making changes in their life. And that's a really, really, really big motivator for me is to have that, I suppose, that influence and that effect and that impact in someone else's life. I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth where I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin McDonald. Thank you for joining me for episode number 121 with Ebony Vanderheim. Ebony and I met at Feel Good Dips. I'm not exactly sure when, but it would have been last year in 2022. And after many conversations with her in person, I thought it would only be right to have her for a longer one on the podcast. And she did not let me down. This was a really fun conversation. And yeah, in it, we speak so many things, physical challenges, obsessions, shifting mindsets, as well as a host of other things. I really enjoyed it and I hope you do too. Thank you to Ebony for being so vulnerable and sharing parts of her life. And yeah, without further ado, here she is. I hope you all enjoy. Ebony Vanderheim, welcome to The Hope Initiative. Thanks, friends. Good to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. Joining me in my home today in the inner east, eastern suburbs of Melbourne. You as well live in the east. You've been staying in the southeast down by the beach recently, which is a nice change you were saying before we started. Yeah, so I do a little bit of house sitting, so it's nice to kind of experience those different areas of the lifestyle around there. So I really enjoy being down towards the beach. It's good. Yeah, so we met we met down at the beach, down in Elwood, feel good dips. I've had a few dippers on the podcast and you're you're one of them but we also had conscious connections dinners together where we made some gnocchi and a few few different things with sherry who's also been on the podcast yep yep that was a really good night actually and on the drive here i was reflecting about that oh, yeah. <laughs> i was thinking about the two of us doing the alphabet backwards <laughs> the alphabet backwards that was yeah, a very a very unique thing that came up at that dinner so yeah we've we've crossed paths a few a few moments in time and yeah, wanted to have you on the podcast to so your Instagram bio, which, you know, doing some research for this, you don't have, you know, a Wikipedia page or anything like that, which is obviously totally <laughs> fine. But I did look back at your Instagram in, in doing this and wanted to sort of start here. And you say adventurer, dream chaser and growth journey. And I really like that. I would like for you to maybe share a bit more on all of those if you, if you could. Yeah, sure. So I'll start with adventurer. So for me, just the lifestyle I've kind of started to establish for myself or probably my whole life has just been going on adventures. So I suppose I lived overseas for two years as well. That was probably the biggest adventure. Mm-hmm. Even actually if I backtrack a bit before that, we go to when I was 16. It was the first time I did an overseas trip with the basketball girls. We went to first spot I ever flew to was to Alaska. So oh, wow. that's where the adventure really started. And going there and just being immersed in that environment and seeing all the things and we had – it was went on Christmas Day, so it was snowing. We wow. were the last flight in. It was it was a really cool experience. And then 
Yeah, I just got there and had this real appreciation for where I was and seeing something different and mm. kind of I still remember this really clear picture of driving down the road. It was probably zero degrees. The sun was shining. There was snow everywhere and the lake was clear and you could just see the sun glistening on the water. I can still see it today and that was, yeah, I was 16. Wow. So that was probably one of the big moments for me that I thought, yeah, I just love travelling. I love experiencing life and then mm. did a little bit of that. Lived over in the UK for two years. So nice. it was an, uh, another big adventure. Yeah, so I did a bit of the UK, a bit of um, Europe as well. Yeah. yeah that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the continent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that big one there. So yeah, because everything's so close. Mm. So it was really, really good experience. And then from there, I suppose, just more and more nature and now just even going hiking. Last night I actually had my first experience of e-boarding. Oh, um, nice. I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that was fun. really cool. So it was someone I met a week ago actually. I uh, went to the the Cold and Conscious Conscious Connections yep. thing on the Friday night and mm. afterwards this guy didn't actually go to the event but he was just standing there with his board and was like, what's this all about? So yeah, got chatting, had a good conversation and exchanged Instagrams and then, yeah, we were talking and told him – he told me he wanted to get back into cold and I said, okay, message me once you've done it. And so, you know, we started talking about that. He messaged me and said, oh, I've got a spare e-board if you want to come check it out. I said, that sounds like heaps of fun. I'm keen. So, nice. yeah, went e-boarding last night. So just any kind of adventure, just going out and experiencing different things as opposed to just going through the standard routine. So, mm. yeah, that's the adventure in me, just something, go bouldering often too with a couple of people from Dips. Um, yeah, I'm, I could probably keep going, but that's... Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, great to you to touch on. I think we'd definitely dig into it. The next one, Dream Chaser. Dream Chaser, mm. yep. Um, so, yeah, Dream Chaser is just not living an average life. Mm. It's probably been something that's really strong in me. I started, I'm going to say, when I first moved to the UK and just having that different, ex- different experience and being exposed to different environments and things over there, and I thought, hey, there's got to be more to life than just doing the standard stuff. So yeah, if you if you came to my house, you would see on my wall, I've got three cupboards all filled with photos. So some places I really want to go is Vietnam. I want to go to the Sondung Cave. Okay. I highly recommend looking that up. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the correct cave. But <laughs> I've got the photos and it's got its own ecosystem. It's I think it's nine kilometres long, the largest cave in the world. Wow. Yeah, you go on six days, five night tour. Yep. So it's really... I remember you telling me about this at Dips one time. Yeah. Okay. Sounds yeah, cool. Really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. One of the dreams. One of the dreams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a few more, like a lot of travel places, but then mm. I also think about the impact that I can start to have on other people as I start to grow myself and, and change things within me, that the change and effect that that can have on people outside. Yeah. Nice. And so that's a big drive for me too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all, all on the wall. Yeah. And I just think always putting something out in front of us in order to chase. So, uh, as we'll probably touch on a little bit more in detail, but the marathon, you know, it's like putting that out in front of me, something to chase, something to strive for. Mm-hmm. And that was a personal thing for me. But yeah, it's just like I'm, I'm chasing a lot of things and I just find that that keeps me going, that keeps me motivated. That's what makes me want to keep going and striving for more. And then the more I start to change and I can start to see the change in those around me, drives me even more to want to keep changing because it's really cool when you can share something with someone and then you start to see that they're making changes in their life. Yeah. And that's a really, really, really big motivator for me is to have that, I suppose, that influence and that effect and that 
impact and in someone else's life. Yeah. Love that. And then the last one's growth journey, which I feel like sort of ties both of those two previous ones in, in a way. But what does that mean to you? Yeah, definitely, definitely ties them in. I think without the growth journey, you can't really have as much of the other two. Uh, so growth journey for me is just, yeah, that continual growth. So I read regularly, actually just before I came in here, I'll read my book. Yeah, I'll listen to a podcast every day, usually several podcasts throughout the day. It's just anything that I can do, even having really good conversations such as we've had before, Rin, yeah. uh, and then many others I've had down at Dips and in other environments I'm part of and all those things, just any kind of conversation I can have that's going to challenge me, I will want to put myself in that position. So um, I, I've got a really good accountability buddy, my friend Jimmy, yep. and we constantly, if there's something where, you know, I, I want to be challenged, I'll call him and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for your perspective. Can you share someone? And he'll, he'll tell me exactly what it is that mm. I need to hear, not necessarily what it is that I want to hear. Right. But it's going to be whatever I need in order to move me closer to my goal. That's going to sometimes it challenges me, but then, yeah, I really appreciate that and having that open space that we can al- allow each other to speak into our lives like that. So, yeah, growth journey is just is continually evolving and always I'm always excited for what's next. Love that and love that idea of the accountability buddy. That's very cool. I feel like I've got a few people like that that maybe I don't know of them as that, but I definitely call on them when I when I need to. And I like to think they do for me as well. So that's cool. Thank you for sharing all of that. So I would love to know, and I feel like for a lot of us, we're shaped by you know our childhood. I think it's fair to say, you know, the early years definitely mold a person as to who they are. But I'd love to know if you could whatever comes to mind when I say what is your f- earliest memory or what is your first memory if you if you have one and then if you could bring us forward to present day and maybe touch on you know four or five moments that stand out to you and and show showcase the person you are today yeah sure first memory I can think of I think I might have been around three and I was sitting at the head of the table it's my birthday and we're all kind of running around and well, not whilst I'm sitting, but you know, like <laughs> yeah. I can see myself sitting at the head of the table because it's my birthday and we're all just sitting there, probably about to do the cake. And then, you know, we've got our little toy cars that you sit on and you use your feet to to ride around the, the house and stuff. And yeah. yeah, just being playful with my cousins and, and my sister and yeah, probably more my cousin because we had a little bit of rivalry <laughs> growing up. So okay. it was me and my cousin Malcolm and then my little sister Paige and my cousin Sammy, they were, it's kind of like the two teams. Yeah, right. <laughs> So yeah, uh, yeah, that, I've got that memory. And then I suppose as we start to keep going up, yeah, dad left uh, when I was probably seven or eight years old. He was my best friend growing up and yeah, I used to, you know, play backyard cricket with him all the time. We had a really, really strong, good relationship. And then everything changed from there, I suppose. When you say left? Oh, left my mum. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. my parents split, yeah, around the age of seven or eight. And yeah, so he, it felt like he left because for me, like I was really, had that really strong connection with him and and that good, good bond. And yeah, that was hard at the time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But I suppose, you know, keep going and yeah, adjusted to that at some point and yeah, kept going forwards. And then I suppose, yeah, I got into basketball sometime during primary school. 
that's where a lot of things started to, I suppose, shift and shape. Yeah, from from there, got, got an offer to uh, try out for Kilsyth Cobras, didn't make it, went and got a phone call from Ringwood Hawks nice. to say, hey, you want to come and play with us? And I thought, yeah, I just want to play basketball. I didn't understand any what clubs were. I didn't even know about I was just playing school basketball. Yeah. So, yeah, I went over there and played for Ringwood Hawks for from under-12s to under-16s. At mm-hmm. under-18s, I decided to make the move back to Kilsyth. Okay. Yep. And I got selected in the 18-2s, so scraped in. Nice. But, yeah, from there things started to look up, and that's actually where I got the opportunity to go over to America. Wow. Yeah, so I think that was in under-20s, actually, where I went over to America with the group of girls. I think there was... 12 of us maybe, mm-hmm. uh, players, 20 in total, some people's parents and stuff came along. Yeah. Uh, yes, that was that was awesome. So we went to Alaska first up and we actually did the homestay with people. Uh, yeah, so stayed with one of the girls there that went to school. We got the opportunity to go into actual schools in America, just spend the day there. Nice. Uh, went to places like Kentucky, Seattle, did the whole LA. Yeah, LA. Yeah, yeah went to Disney... Disney World, Disneyland, whichever it is. One of those, yeah, yeah. 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 And then Universal as well. Nice. Um, so, yeah, that was a really cool experience. Then kept playing right up, got into the Youth League squad. Yep. And then made it into the, at the time was Siebel. Okay. Southeast Australian Basketball League. Yep. Yeah, so I was a, I was a good bench player. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, didn't get much time on the actual court, but okay. did get a few minutes here and there. So that was still a cool experience and got the opportunity to fly over to Tassie with the team and nice. be all a part of that. So, yeah, it was really, really cool as well to, to have that and still be a part of that. Yep. Then, yeah, then I decided I got chatting to one of my friends who grew up in England, but we went to high school together. We started to get a lot closer and she told me she was moving back and I said, hey, can I come? And that's pretty much what started my journey to then move over to the UK. Wow. Yeah, so we moved over there together and I knew nobody other than her. But thankfully I did know her because then that gave me me the opportunity to... Her family was really, really awesome. They were loving and caring. They really kind of took me in as if I was one of their their own family members. So I'm really, really extremely appreciative of all that. Um, Yeah, that was really cool. So I remember at the start because my friend had a job because she was English and she'd already been over there a few years prior as well and, yeah, got a job and I was sitting there and I was with her grandparents and they're like, oh, we're going to this to this dance and bingo night, you want to come? I thought, yeah, okay. So it was so cool though to just hang out with all the older people and, you know, dance and not worry about anything and, yeah, it was a really cool experience. So I really, really enjoyed that that was a start there and then at some point got a job. Yep. Yeah, worked in a pub and nice. – yeah, so it was really cool because you start talking to people and you have an accent, so it's really <laughs> made it really easy. Everyone's interested. Everyone's interested. Hearing you talk, yeah, yeah, and which would seem weird to you, but even back then, I was I was actually fairly fairly shy, fairly reserved. Yeah, right. it was probably the start of what helped me step out of that comfort zone. But yeah, still, at the time back then, a lot of stepping out of my comfort zone was probably alcohol related. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so not true. Com- true confidence or <laughs> anything like that and being in a pub, you know, you know, the kind of people you're starting to hang around. Of course. Not there's anything wrong. Yeah. But it just means that other people have confidence too that they don't typically have without that drink. Totally. So, yeah. But, yeah, so that was the start of that and then, yeah, the next two years was 
party time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereabouts in England was it? So I lived in a place called Warrington, okay. which is halfway between Manchester and Liverpool, so okay. up north. Nice. Yep. So yeah, different. Many people even in the UK haven't heard of Warrington. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, but if you if you like rugby, they've got a big rugby team. I never went and saw rugby, but that's okay. what I hear. <laughs> well, I'm a Liverpool supporter, so I'd, okay. I'd probably tend tend to go go west. I think it might be to to Liverpool. So, yep. but there you go. Cool. Yeah, cool. Then what? Then yeah, then it's pretty emotional leaving there. My visa was expiring, and I didn't organise anything to try and see if I could stay longer. Okay. By the time I tried to do that, it was all too late, and I thought, oh, well. so. Yeah, it was a very emotional time coming back and it's kind of a weird feeling coming back mm. uh, to Australia. Just, yeah, kind of felt like I didn't really want to be here, but like in Australia, yep. yeah, like I didn't really want to be here, but then at the same time I did. And yep. yeah, I went back to my old job and kind of just felt like I just slipped right back into my old life and I kind of fell back from all the kind of somewhat growth that I'd had. I'd, I'd slipped back and just started, mm. yeah, going through the motions of things again and I kind of just got stuck in that wheel, I suppose. Yep. And then, yeah, I had my old school teacher, she was coaching a footy team. Yeah. Said, come play. And oh, I don't really want to. I've just had two years of no commitment. Like basketball was a big commitment from the age of 10 to 23. So yeah. it was massive. I was like, oh, I just had two years with no commitment. <laughs> kind of don't really know if I want to go back into the sporting world of having that commitment. And then I was sitting at the pub with my uncle, having a palmer, and he said, Eb, just give it a shot. He's like, just go down to training, see if you like it. Like, okay, I'll go down to training, see if I like it. <laughs> so yeah, I went down and, yeah, I, I really liked it. I loved it. Nice. Uh, I fell in love and, so yeah, I started playing footy for South Croydon. Yep. And, yeah, played there, managed to get best and first of the league. Wow. Yeah, I had a good year. First year. First year. Huge. Yep. So from there I decided, okay, let's keep going. Started to pursue AFL, mm-hmm. W. And, yeah, I tried out for Richmond and St Kilda. Mm-hmm. And Richmond, I made it to the second round and then I said no more. So, okay, that's cool. Then St Kilda, I was doing really well. I think I'd kind of got to the top 50 so far. So there was a couple hundred people tried out and, yeah, made it down to the top 50. And then uh, I was playing basketball just for fun with some people that I used to play basketball with, Kilsyth. Yeah. And there was three minutes left in the game. Bang. ACL. Oh. Fuck. Yeah, it hurt. <laughs> I bet. Yep. Physically and probably mentally at the time, hey? Yeah, so the physical pain was over in seconds. I did it on takeoff and mm. yeah, hit the ground. And by the time I hit the ground, I was just filled with rage. Not because I'd done – well, because I'd, I didn't know I'd done my ACL at the time, but – I was pursuing my footy dream and mm. here I was playing a game of basketball and at the time I didn't even want to be there for that specific game. It was a 10-15 game on a Monday or Tuesday night. Yeah. I didn't want to be I didn't want to be playing because it was so late. Mm. And yeah, then got to there and competitive side of me, I was just on a fast break, sprinting. Uh, of course, once you're playing, you want to win. <laughs> yeah, once I'm, once I'm there, I'm, I'm all in, you know, I'm, I'm committed to... I'm in this game now, you know, and we're going to win. Yeah. We're already winning by a lot. I didn't need to be doing this. Yeah. But it's still that thing. It doesn't matter if you're winning by a lot. You just keep playing to the standard that you play at. Right. That's my mentality anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> sprinting down the court and, yeah, grab this pass. And, yeah, so I was more angry at myself for, yeah. for yeah, doing an injury in the middle of there because I knew I was – I knew I wasn't in yet, but I was so close to being in. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that shifted a lot of things. I bet. Yeah. That was mentally challenging. Was that the second year of playing footy? Like this is after the first year of South Croydon? Yeah, so after the first year of South Croydon, I then finished that. Uh, so when was this? So the end of – so I did my ACL Feb 2019. Okay. So yeah, so 2018 was my first year of playing at South Croydon. Yeah. And then left – finished that and a month or so later is when we had our tryouts for, for the VFL, AFL. Yeah. It was VFL. Because, and the reason I picked St Kilda and Richmond at the time was strategic – both of those were going into the AFLW in 2020. Okay. So it seemed like a better pathway to head to get a higher priority of selection. If you could stand out in the VFL in those teams that you could just get pulled straight across. So yep. I had motiv- yeah, motivation and strategy behind why I picked the two clubs that I did to try out for. Smart. Yeah. Nice. Well, they're not so smart doing my ACL. Well, <laughs> you can't plan for these things, hey? You wouldn't no. want to, of course. but That's it. So... Yeah. Yeah, so I did that and kind of struggled a little bit mentally and then coming back and I had a few personal things go on in my life as well and yep. then just hit a big party phase again for about six months and, you know, didn't matter what other people tried to tell me if they're like, Eb, my good friend at the time, you know, Eb, like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just having fun. But I wasn't really having that much fun. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of just kept going and then I got to the stage where I thought, what am I doing? And I thought, you know what, footy was coming back around. I'd done all the healing that I needed to do for my knee. Yep. Thought, yep, okay, cool, let's go. So yeah, I went back to, to training, did all of that. My 2K time trial, I was like still on track and I was like, I don't know how because I hadn't done all that much. Wow. I've probably still been running, mm. but yeah, not not as much as what. Oh, no way, I'm getting my years confused. I'd done a lot of running. (laughs) I'd done a lot of running because that was part of my my rehab and I actually really enjoyed running. So when I had that, it was a lot of sprint work, a lot of this, a lot of that. So, yeah, yeah, that was was all good. And then... How long was the recovery? Like, were you back in 2020? Was it a 12-month thing or less? Yeah, I was set to come back in 2020. Yeah? Yeah, but we didn't didn't play in 2020. Yeah, right. Yeah, so we went into lockdown. Right. Yeah, so I'd done all the work. I was good, actually... Yeah, I was good, got back, had a few more little things. So when I first came back, there was a couple of things I had to tick off still. Uh, I think it was my jump test and something else. But we were, we were working on that. And then, yeah, a couple of weeks I was set to go for my first practice match in 2020. And then, yeah, we got the phone call to say we were going into lockdown. So yeah. You got a phone call. I didn't get a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Andrews on the phone. <laughs> hey, Eb, soz. <laughs> Okay, I didn't get a phone call from there. I okay. probably didn't actually get a call. It would have been a text message from <laughs> from the footy club to say, obviously because of this, we're not we're not able to play now. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Personal phone call might have been nice. Uh, yeah, ease but, the ease the blow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So from there, it was all right. It was actually really good to have footy. Yeah. Even though we weren't together, we did we did some Zoom sessions. The coaches got really creative, and we had a few activities where. We'd have to have videos of ourselves and, you know, kind of do some fun stuff like that. So yeah. it was that was pretty cool. It was good to be part of that. And and this is at St Kilda VFL. This is at St Kilda VFL. VFL. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Shout out to Dale because, um, yeah, really helped me through a lot of that too. So Okay. Who's Dale? Dale was, a, was my coach at St Kilda. Okay. Yep. So Amazing. she's great. Cool. Yep. Yeah. So then we started doing that and then I suppose we're in lockdown. So went through a few rabbit holes and got myself mentally I was in a really low place and mm. I'm actually really grateful for the experience of going through all of that because then from there I I suppose I I started to realize like well what am I doing with life 
and where am I going? And yeah, that's when, you know, things started to change. I started to change my association and started to create some of these good habits. That's where reading and, and things came in, reading podcasts and yeah. all, the, all those kinds of things and added on meditation, cold water. And so then I started to look into all the good things for a health perspective. And so that really shifted a lot of things. And then, yeah, then went and played footy in 2021 and played VFL there. So yeah. I was in much better, much better place and had no fear at all. So almost that year of 2020 having that off, mentally for my knee was great because then when I came to play there was nothing I'd kind of dealt with everything that I needed to had no fear to step back onto that field a little bit of fear the very first first time for about five minutes and then after that first game it was just like I'm good I don't need to worry about anything so yeah then we had our 2021 season made it to the finals and I was fortunate enough to play in our final squad uh, against Geelong at the Skilled Stadium huge yeah, so that was a really cool experience. Yeah, so that was that was good. Yeah. Not so good. We lost, but okay. great experience great still. Great experience, sure. Yep. Sure. And then from there, I decided that, you know, life had other things in store for me. I almost wasn't even going to play that 2021 season. Okay. Uh, I kind of had this pull to not, and then Dale said, Eb, just, you know, we've had a lot of time off and all this stuff. Just come check it out. And then I checked out, like, okay, yeah, this is fun. This is good. But at the end of that 2021 season – start to get that same feeling mm. and so I made the call that cool let's go do some other things yep. with life because I can probably push through it again but at some point I have to start listening to what I'm feeling internally and I was like look now's as good a time as any so let's do this so yeah, yeah I made that shift and I think that's when I started going to feel good dips and all that stuff and started making a lot of adjustments in my life and then yeah yeah then trained for a marathon in 2022 mm-hmm Carried that over and trained for 28K trail run, yep. uh, two bays, in the start of January this year. Mm. And then things shifted again. So, um, yeah, so I haven't actually been for a run since that day. I had a lot of cycle issues. So mm. part of the – I went and saw help for that. And yep. and from there, part of the recommendation was to just not run, just to reduce that stress and that on my body and things. So. Yep. Yeah, so actually mentally preparing to not be able to run was harder than mentally preparing for a marathon, which is, wow. yeah, it was really, really big. So, yeah, so I guess from there, yeah, life's been different again, and, but I've actually been really grateful. I, I shifted my mindset at the end of last year knowing that two days was going to be my last run for a while and I then started to shift that and think, hey, what are all the good things that I can start to do in in life and that I want to start doing that I haven't had the time availability to do. So things like the sauna and all that. And yeah, now I'm actually just, I'm really calm, feeling really good. I still go to the gym. It's just no running. So yeah, it's different, but I'm excited to have my body fully heal and and be back at its optimal state. And then at some point I will start running again and I'll just know the little tricks and things like that, that to recognize the signs of, uh, of, when my body's telling me, hey, slow down or, or things like that. So, yeah, so I still would like to do a triathlon and yep. at some point look at, we'll start with a half Ironman. <laughs> yeah, so, and then this is where we are today. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I really appreciate it. Definitely a lot of things there that I yeah, didn't know. I'm sure we could go deeper into all of them. I'd love to maybe just keep on the, the two bays because I think, was that on the 15th of Jan? Yeah. Yeah, I remember because I had a triathlon on that day as well and we were both both competing on the same same day, different different parts of Melbourne. You said preparing to not be able to run was harder than 
running the marathon, how long did you know that you wouldn't be able to run after that 28k trail run? Like, was there like a few weeks before? Yeah, probably, probably closer to six weeks. Okay. Yeah, six to eight weeks before I knew. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd. So the lady I was seeing, Holly, mm. uh, for my cycle issues, was yeah. she said, "Message me two weeks after your marathon. We'll catch back up then, and we'll we'll have the next plan of attack." So in that two weeks from ending, finishing my marathon to the time I saw her, I'd booked in two days. Wow. As an athlete, I suppose you know, it's kind of what's that next thing? Cool, let's go. Absolutely. Let's do what's it. the next thing I can put on the calendar? That's it. So yeah. yeah, always having that something to strive for. And I was talking to, I ran into one of my old school teachers, and he told me about two bears. I looked into, I was like, that sounds amazing. Done. Yeah, booked in. Caught up with Holly. She's like, what have you done? <laughs> I was like, and I just booked another ranch. She's like, why? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And then I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then she got me to read a book, and in the book. It started to delve a lot deeper and and go into why cardio, especially if you are having those issues, why cardio is a, a negative effect. But it's just until you can get your body back under control and you can your body can trust you again, yep. and then you can go back. And then I kept reading the stories of people that once they were good and and back in in optimal health functioning. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the book for anyone? Um, this? No period. Now what? Okay. Yep. Cool. Very specific. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, reading that and then there was people that had competed in marathons and things after and I was like, okay. So yeah, reading that when I first found out I couldn't exercise Yeah. for about 24 hours, I was not good. I was just in a complete, I didn't want to get out of bed the next morning. I hadn't experienced that in a long time. And the only thing that got me out of bed that morning was the fact that I wanted to get up and read my book. Wow. And at the time I was reading Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. Yep. Yeah. Good book too. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was reading that. And that was the only thing that got me out. And I was like, okay, well, I may as well go to work since I'm up. Because I'd actually contemplated even calling up sick that day, which is extremely rare. I never do that. Mm. But yeah, I just didn't even, just wasn't very, I wasn't in a good headspace at all. Sure. After reading that. And that was the last thing I read before I went to sleep, which explains why I woke up feeling the way I did. Because what we put in our mind, especially before sleep, has a big part in how we wake up the next day. That's my belief anyway. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I found that out and then... I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so then from there, it was all about, okay, well, this is going to be what it is, so how can we shift our mindset? And I actually called Jimmy at that stage, and he started to give me some different perspectives and some different thoughts and, and all that stuff. And, yeah, I thought, okay, cool. So then I just started to see the good side behind it, and it wasn't overnight. It probably took me about two weeks to really get on board, and then it probably did affect my training a little bit as well. Yeah, heading into two bears because I was not very well prepared from a physical aspect of had a few injuries along the way in that preparation, uh, heading into two bays, knee niggles, ankle, a yeah. few other bits and pieces. And yeah, so yeah, I think that was your question. How long? Yeah, yeah. How long did you know? Was there an option that went through your mind of like, maybe I just don't do two bays? Or was it the idea that like, because you put it on the calendar, you were getting it done regardless of what sort of Holly was saying? Uh, so I'd agreed with Holly that I would do two bays. Okay. And after that, I would stop yep. and do what was required of me. But yes, I still had that thing of nearly not doing two bays. A week prior, mm. I'd done something to my knee and I was struggling to walk properly. It would just, it felt like as I was walking, it was just dislocating out of place or 
yeah, kind of just sliding out and sliding back in and it was very uncomfortable. I bet. Is this the knee that you... No. No, not the one. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Your second knee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my unoperated knee. Wow. Yep. So, yeah, that was happening and I wasn't wasn't feeling too good and I thought, oh, no. So I had that entire week off running. Mm. I'd hardly run. I hadn't been running all that much because a few weeks prior to that, like I said, I had that. I had an ankle niggle. Yeah. And then... Yeah, just bit by bit, my knees started to get better. I had spoke to a chiropractor and he gave me some stretches, some exercises and different things to do. And then every day I started to feel a bit better. And then it was the day before race. I was like, no, I got this. Mm. I got this. And then, yeah, I just followed through because I'd already committed to it. And then run day, do you want to hear about run day? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, then run day, all good, feeling great. And we set off, still feeling good, run up. So we went from Dramana to Cape Shank, so up Arthur's seat, which is – Anyone that knows it, it's quite very, very steep. So yeah. the first four or five Ks of the run is uphill mm. and up uphill. Mm. So, yeah, so running part of the way up there and it's very common for people to run and walk. So, you know, it was a bit of jogging, started walking at points, running again. And, yeah, then you're going down a little bit as well and still running. And there's a lot of people, a lot of tree branches and things like that that you got to look out for under your feet. Yeah. Really, really cool. Enjoying this. Didn't get to see too much of the view. I'd done that run, that part of the run during training earlier on and saw much of more of the view. But now because there's so many people, you just constantly looking there, didn't get to see as much of the view. Yeah. It's a bit cloudy at that time in the morning as well. And yeah, I kept going and then got got to the 8K mark. And before that, I got to 7K mark. And I looked at my watch. I was like, yep, bang, you're on target for where you want to get to. So my goal was, it was a pretty cruisy goal. But, yeah, it's to complete it in under three hours. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, got to there, thought, yep, bang, I'm right where I want to be. Thought, I'm doing good. Run the next K. And then all of a sudden, my legs were just aching from going up and then back down the other side. My legs were, my quads, really, really sore. I thought, right. man, I was like, how are you going to get through this? <laughs> how, much, how much more did you have to go at that 20 point? 20Ks to go. Wow. Okay, yep. yeah, so you're 8Ks in. Wow. Yep. 8Ks in, 20Ks to go. Was there much vert left or had you done most of it in terms of the hills? Was there much? Well, the next part as well was a bit unknown. I hadn't trained through that section. Okay. So I didn't really know. There was there was still a few hills. There was kind of hills the whole way through, none as steep as that. Mm. There was, until you get to the very end, then everyone talks about these stairs. I'm like, stairs, okay. <laughs> you know once you get there. But, yeah, you, you do feel those in the quads as well. But, yeah, well, nothing like what we just run up. Mm. But it was still a lot of hills and you still got to run 20K. So whether it's flat or plus you're not running on the uh, solid terrain, there's sections that are sand, there's sections that's dirt, there's tree roots everywhere. There's It's a really, really cool experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so just a bit of everything. And yeah, I was just – I was in my head at this stage and like, why are you even here? <laughs> you couldn't even walk a week ago. Your knee was sore. You should have just not even done this run. Why are you here? What are you doing? you still got 20Ks to go. Wow. How are you even going to make it through? I'm still jogging. I thought, just stop. So I just started walking. thought, if you keep thinking like this, you're not going to make it. You committed to coming here. You could walk and you knew that you would be okay. You've got this. Just take it one kilometre at a time. Like, you've got this step by step. We're getting through this. Just keep pushing and deal with any pain that comes up tomorrow. But right now, you're here. Just get through. So I thought, okay. So, yeah, thankfully had this guy... Everyone's really, really encouraging on these runs. Trail runs is an incredible environment. Highly, any runner, highly recommend doing a trail run because it's just, it's completely different. The marathon, 
that was a good experience for personal, but trail runs is different. Everyone's kind of, even though you don't know everyone, everyone's a bit more community-based mm. kind of thing and encouraging and people run past you, you're looking really good, you're doing good. And yeah, I had these guys like, come on, run with me. Okay, so like I was just getting out of my head at this stage and then heading, hitting that positive mental mental attitude and this guy's okay cool so I'm really thankful for that guy because he got me running again and then I was it was all good from there not all good but a lot better a lot better (laughs) and then from there just kept going just kept going and you know I look at my watch and be like yeah cool 10k's down so I do a weird thing as I'm running I'll I start counting up until I hit a certain point and then I'm I start counting yeah backwards yeah yeah Breaking so, it down in incremental parts in your in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes it'll be like five Ks to go, two Ks to go. Yeah, she's smashing through this, you got this, just keep going, you got this. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so I've got thankfully I'd done the marathon, so I developed a lot of good self talk and training for that and then even running that. The marathon was actually easier for me than this twenty eight K trail run. Wow. Yeah, so just kept going, kept going. At the eighteen K mark I started to I could feel my knee. Mm. I could feel that for about two kilometers. I thought just keep going. Like you're still running and you haven't collapsed, so just keep going. You're okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So just kept pushing, and then yeah, by the 20k mark, the pain had gone. So oh, maybe it was just in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the pain was there or not, but I've not had a single knee issue since I completed that run. Wow. So yeah, I was like, maybe it's just in your head. So just keep going. If it comes back, deal with that then. But for now, we just keep running, and yeah, just kept going. And then as I started to get closer and closer, about 2k's out you can hear people at the finish line. Mm. And by this stage, you're starting to feel pretty sore. Well, I was feeling pretty sore. And, you know, it's weird. You start bunny hopping with people as well, the same people. You'll run past people because they'll start walking for a bit and then all of a sudden you'll have to walk and they come back past you. So, yeah, like that's cool too because then you start to get to – you don't know them but you you Mm. know who they are and you just get this good encouragement like, you're doing really good, keep pushing. And sometimes it's enough. And, yeah, as you start to hear that crowd and that's enough. 2Ks, it's like, cool. I've only got 2Ks to go. I'm doing this. Yeah, I've already done 26. I'm smashing this. Man, mm. I'm pumped. So then you just keep going, keep going. Then you see the finish line and, yeah, I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but always seem to get this burst of energy and, of yeah, finish strong. So I completed the race in, I can't even remember now. I think it was 2 hours 52, 2 hours 53, somewhere around there. So Wow, congrats. Thank you. Yeah, so I came in and, yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful for the mindset I developed over the last couple of years and mm. where that's got me to now. Yeah, amazing. I've never done a trail run, but I definitely would love to. I've grown up with a family who have a sort of a house down that way, so I know Arthur's seat well, and I know uh, I've gone up in the chairlift a few times, so I know the the elevation there is is big. But yeah, yet to run it, but would love to one day. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, so. I love the yeah the community aspects because I've also never done like an event of a marathon. You ran the Melbourne Marathon in October, so like three months before two bays and you did it fully taped mouth taped so nasal breathing now i remember when you were training for this i i think i saw you a couple of times running along the beach before dips you, you used to run i think like like a half marathon i remember pretty sure you running like just before dips casually one morning i was amazed because I'd, I'd never really seen this before and you you recommended a few things for me to check out, which admittedly I haven't done in enough, in enough depth. I'll call myself out on that. But even you saying that like the, the two bays was harder than the marathon. Do you think you would say that like, I feel like the marathon helped you get to the point where two bays was, you know, the next big challenge. 
and maybe had you not done the marathon two days, yes, it's obviously would have probably been a lot harder, but it's just like added to your, your armor almost your, your pedigree in a way. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think the marathon was a big part of what allowed me to go through two bays. Melbourne Marathon, any marathon is a challenge. I'm not taking away f- – I mean, I did it, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely proud of my achievement. Of course. But Melbourne Marathon's virtually flat the whole way, mm. whereas two bays, you know, you're going up to elevations of 500 metres, I think it was, 532 metres. So mm. when you're taking all that into consideration, even though it's 28 k's as opposed to 42 – but once you add in those hills, that makes a massive difference to the run. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, not to take away from a marathon because it's still a challenge either way. But I think mentally I'd prepared a lot and I'd been through a lot in training. I'd had training for the marathon. I'd had uh, – I remember six weeks out I messaged my PT saying, I've had enough. I'm not doing this anymore. I keep having stomach issues my, and it takes me too long to get my – and then I have to stop and then my head, I can feel everything building up in my head other carbon dioxide mm. I was like and then it takes and I have to remove my tape and then it takes me two three kilometers to get my breathing back into proper sink I'm like I'm not doing this anymore the tape's going and then he messaged me saying are you 100% on this decision I was like I don't know I was like I'll message you later I'm feeling really emotional right now I had a really bad run I'll get back to you so yeah message him he messaged me that I didn't message him that night. He messaged me the next morning. He said, Eb, how are you feeling? I said, Yep. I've reassessed my run. My heart rate was really good. My time, I was like, I'm still exactly where I want to be. Even with all these issues, the more I assess my run and take away the way I was feeling from the run and look at all the statistics of my run, I still had a really solid run considering I was running for three kilometers with a massive stitch and all this stuff. I said, mm. Tape stays. I'm going to work it out. And so going through things like that, then it was, okay, how can I improve things? And uh, I picked up a book, Oxygen Advantage, and mm-hmm. I was just, I need to read this. So as I started reading this, I started getting some more tips that he explains in the book of different breathing exercises I can do and, and different things that I can do. So every night I would call, Jimmy and I would call each other, yeah. and I would do five minutes of breathing or so he would do his some of his reading. So yeah, he would just read his book. So we'd be on the phone together, not talking, just doing this, I'll be doing my breathing exercises and yeah. every single night. Wow. And doing that was enough to then help change the carbon dioxide, my, like the tolerance level that my body would accept of carbon dioxide. Right. And, yeah, from there, the marathon was the smoothest run I did all my six months of training. So I trained for six months. It was more about learning how to breathe as opposed to learning how to run. Right. I knew how to run, yeah. kind of. <laughs> uh, yeah, but then it was it was just teaching, teaching myself to breathe. But, yeah, I used to get up and... So dips, the dip was at 8.30 and, you know, I'd be uh, I'd be at the beach. So I'd live 45 minute to an hour drive from the beach and I would travel to the beach, be there by 6, start my run and then be, be in the ocean with you guys at 8.30. So, wow. yeah, so most mornings it started off with just 15Ks, 18Ks. We got to, I think next was like 21 and then 25, 29. 29 was the furthest I ran prior to doing the marathon. Yeah. And, yeah, but I'll do that. Six o'clock on a Sunday morning, every Sunday, pretty much without fail. I think in the six months of training, I maybe missed five or six sessions. So, amazing and all, all worth it. I think the work that you you put in. I didn't get to see you in person on the day. I, I came I came down to watch watch the marathon. I had a few friends running in the race, but I remember seeing some stuff on socials afterwards. 
And I'm sure that was a great feeling crossing the line. I remember seeing, yeah, the photo, not not great because we're recording this audio, but like the mouth tape that you had, you could still like drink water and, and, and do certain things, right? Could you maybe just explain what that exactly was like and, and why, why, yeah, nasal breathing and why taping your mouth is so important? Sure. So, yeah, on the Oxygen Advantage website, he actually has tape that he sells and I thought okay cool this is the guy I'm learning from so like yeah. let's order some of this tape so it was coming from America and I'd ordered it three or four weeks out from my race and I think man I hope it gets here in time and it arrived I think a week and a half before I'm very <laughs> grateful for that yeah so the idea of that tape is it goes around the outside of your mouth and I guess to still be able to consume your liquids and and I didn't have gels I just took honey mm-hmm. uh, all the gels upset my stomach so honey is what worked best for me yeah yeah, so to still be able to do that, I mean, you still can't open your mouth fully. At that stage of training, I didn't really need tape anyway. The tape was more for two things. One, to just that mental reminder that you're keeping your mouth closed because, yeah, as you start to fatigue, you know, you, you forget. So that tape is just there for that reminder to keep your mouth closed. Yeah, I didn't necessarily need it. I'd done many runs without tape where I could go for – Maybe not right now, but I could go for a 20K run and not need to tape my mouth and I'd be fine doing the nasal breathing. Yeah, Definitely done a few of those in training. And then the other one was to show other people that I was doing nasal breathing. Not from – it's to make people question why you would do it. Mm. I think that's a, a really good thing to kind of send a message to mm. other people because I think there's a lot of benefit to, to nasal breathing. So, yeah, Oxygen Advantage is a good book that I recommend by Patrick McEwen, as well as Breath by James Nestor. Both are really good on on breath and why it's really important to breathe through our nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not an expert in this field. This is just from personal experience, really. Sure. Yeah, so actually a friend of mine, Ella Pike, who's yep. known as the breath boss, she'd, she'd mentioned about doing a marathon with nasal nasal breathing. I was like, oh, yeah, I reckon you could do it. She's like, yeah, you could do it too. Do it with me. I was like, okay. Anyway, so I got to training and... Did 4Ks with my mouth tape. I was like, this is pretty easy. 10Ks with mouth tape, pretty easy. And then, yes, it didn't get so easy once I kind of hit the 15K mark <laughs> and you really start to feel it a bit more in your head then. Sure. So then it's learning that, okay, how can I help my body adjust to this carbon dioxide? So some of the benefits of breathing through our nose is our hairs and things work as filters. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part. And then the no- as we breathe in through our nose, the air that hits our lungs is already warmed. Whereas when we breathe through our mouths, the air that hits our lungs is cold. And that's mm. where you find a lot of runners start to get that. I used to have sport asthma because I was a big mouth breather. Right. So prior to doing the marathon, I hadn't, I'd never trained to breathe in and out of my nose. I'd done one or two runs where I'd read something in a book and then I thought I, I read breath and I thought I'll test this out. I was like, mm, this is really hard. I'm not doing this too hard. <laughs> yeah. And... Yeah, so I used to get a lot of sports asthma, you know, I'd be wheezing a lot, especially if I went for a run at late at night or early in the morning because the air's a lot colder, so yeah. it makes sense. And then nasal breathing now, man, I never, ever breathe in through my mouth now. Right. Sometimes I will breathe in through my nose and out through my mouth, but I never breathe in through my mouth. And that's just me because it's just, I don't I don't get the sports asthma anymore. So nice. that's a big, big thing. So if you happen to suffer from sports asthma, I'd suggest breathing in through your nose and seeing if that makes a difference. So Yeah. Yeah, so there's that. All of that. I've heard as well that it helps with snoring. Like I've been a snorer in my past. I, th- I definitely think it, it helps with that. And also I've seen like studies online, and I'll probably link some of them because I've read them, don't know them off the top of my head right now, but it definitely changes like the facial structure of people, right? So breathing through your nose has, 
has crazy effects like that. Yeah, massive. So I've been sleeping with my mouth taped for about a year and a half now, maybe a little bit longer, mm. probably pretty close to two years now. See, so yeah, I decided to see a few people taping their mouths, and I was like, what sort of tape do you use? And tested it out, and the first night I did it, I remember waking up in the morning, I was like, man, I feel like so energised. Wow. Really energised, so I was feeling good. Mm. And then now I've been doing it for so long that I don't necessarily get that energised feeling that mm. I first got because it becomes my new baseline, right? Yeah. But if I was to go to sleep tonight and not tape my mouth, because I have trialled this a couple of times, of just not taping my mouth intentionally to see how I'd wake up, I definitely do not feel as refreshed as what I do when I sleep with my mouth taped. So right. I, I know that I'm a mouth breather when I sleep because sometimes I'll fall asleep having a nap or something and my mouth is wide open. <laughs> Even still after having taped my mouth for nearly two years, I will still have my mouth open. So, mm. yeah, I just do it every night. helps with hydration as well. Uh, helps relax your body. Mm. a lot a lot more so improves recovery because now your blood can function and pump through the body better and yeah yeah heaps of there's heaps of benefits and definitely worth reading about love it so if you're listening to this close your mouth take a deep breath through your nose there you go nasal breathing love it i'd love to jump back to maybe some early years. It's normally where I start actually with these. You'd know listening to, having listened yeah. to a few of these, you might've been preempting that. I sort of wanted to change it up. But you you mentioned when your dad went away, when your parents split, that was a pivotal moment. He was, I think you described him as your best friend. Could you maybe talk to me about that? I think you mentioned you had a sister, which is, I saw that on stalking your instagram don't know if you've got any other siblings but yeah could you talk to me about family life and what that was like you know for young ebony sure so i've got three sisters okay two older one younger yeah yep and then mum and dad yeah. uh yeah so growing up i suppose yeah well if you don't mind sharing yeah no, that's this. okay so yeah my little sister's page i'll use names because that'll be easier sure and then the one above me is tiff and then my oldest one is Amelia. So, yeah, growing up, Paige and I are very close in age. We're a year and a half apart. And then Tiff's seven years older than me and Amelia's 10 years older than me. So there's a bit of a bit of an age gap. So, yeah, yeah I just remember really young, Tiff and I were best mates. Paige and Amelia were really close. And that's kind of how, how things were when we were really, really – well, Paige and I were really, really little. Yeah, uh, yeah so I, I shared a room with Tiff and, and Paige and Amelia, they shared a room and – yeah, we kind of all hung out and I remember, you know, Tiff, we used to do, Tiff was, uh, uh, she did acrobatics. Okay. So we used to do fun acrobatic tricks. You yeah. know, she used to throw us up and, and do fun stuff like that and she would always, like, get us to play a game. She'd be like, hmm, let's play a game. You're going to draw on my back and I'm going to guess what you're drawing. And <laughs> With an actual marker or with your no, finger? With our finger. Okay, I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just her way of getting, like, a little, a cheap massage. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. I love it. So we'd be drawing these pictures. She's like, mm, I can't feel it very well. Can you press a bit harder? <laughs> so, you know, you draw a house and she'd be like, is that a snake? And you'd be like, no. And so she's like, draw it again. You know, it was just, it was, she was very smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So we used to do things like that. We'd play, play other games and, and do a lot of, a lot of things. And then, yeah, I think Amelia moved out when she was 17. So I would have been about six. Yeah. So that created that distance there. And then... Yeah, then dad left, yeah, around around the age of seven or eight for me. I think I was in grade two. Okay. So, yeah, then sh- things shifted again and, yeah, Paige and I, <laughs> Paige and I growing up, I suppose, 
we got along really well, but we'd also fight a lot. Yeah. And it was just that classic sister rivalry. And yeah, I, Paige is really good to me though, especially growing up and going through going through school where, if, you know, not that it happened often, but if someone ever made fun of me or picked on me or something, like I knew that Paige was, Paige would be the first person there to stand up for me and, and to have my back. And it didn't matter if she, like she was making fun of me and then someone else made fun of me for the same thing. That was not acceptable. Yeah. It was like she could do it because she was my sister, but if someone else it was like, no, because you're doing it to be mean. Right. Whereas, yeah, so... Yeah, she was she's my little big sister, basically. Nice. Yeah, so yeah, that was really good. And then I used to go to dad's house every second weekend. We nice. used to have a lot of a lot of good time together. So we'd go for runs together sometimes in when I was younger. Yeah, we used to go for runs and he'd take me to, to basketball training. Actually at a young age too, I did play footy for a little bit in I played with the boys in under twelves, I think it was, for two two seasons. Yep. Yep. Nice. Yeah, I'd go from basketball straight to footy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah, he used to take me to all that stuff and then yeah, we we play computer games and stuff like that as well. So yeah, so it was really good. I would do all of that and then I think around the age of fifteen is when I stopped going to dad's and things just shifted a little bit more then. But yeah, I suppose for me growing up it was I was on my bike all the time, hanging out with my friends and, and doing all that and yeah, Paige and I would mainly fight over whose turn it was to go on MSN and <laughs> <laughs> all those fun things back then. Yep. Yeah, and then because Tiff was, oh, she was that bit older, you know, she was going out and partying and doing stuff with her friends. So I suppose didn't really, weren't as close. We still saw each other, but not as much just because of where we were all at in life. And totally. yeah, I, f- I feel like I was never really home that much because I was always out on my bike, riding, having fun, doing whatever with with my mates. So yeah. Yeah. So an active lifestyle then from a young age seems to be a fair assessment. Yeah, definitely had a very active lifestyle. So, yeah, whether it was riding our bikes, like me and my friends were riding our bikes or on skateboards or rollerblades or anything really. Footy, basketball. Footy, basketball. I think there was a time as well where I played cricket, not for very long. I don't really remember cricket. I just remember going to this Milo event and (laughs) all my Milo stuff. Um, It's Milo-sponsored cricket. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, did odds kick as well. Yeah. So yeah, I started odds kick. So if, if footy was an option back then, I would have pursued that over basketball, but it wasn't. So yeah, right. Yeah, I could only play with the boys for so long, and then that's what that's basically why I chose basketball because I had to pick between the two. Yeah, right. Were your other sisters? And I know there's a bit of an age gap with the elder two, but were they similarly sports oriented, or were you the only one of the of the four? Yeah, just me really. So yeah. Yeah, Tiff did acrobatics up until she was 18. So she had still some form of sport. Mm -hmm. It's just very different sport. So, yeah, yeah, she's far more flexible than I am, can do a handstand and I like fall on my face. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, as for sports, yeah, I think Paige delved into basketball for maybe a season or two, but that wasn't really her thing. At at that time, I believe she was more into, like, the beauty scene and heading down that kind of of path. Yeah, we all – yeah, we all live – it's kind of very different lifestyles and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I always find it interesting with siblings, especially. Like, I'm the eldest of seven. My brother, who I live with now, we're recording in a space that we both share. Normally, he's got, like, a drum kit set up as well, but he records music up here. You know, I like listening to music. I'm not musically talented, but by that token, he's really delved into that as a skill and become a lot better on the guitar, better vocalist in the past few years. That's where he spent a lot of time. So it's only natural. 
but I think it's like that following of the thing that, you know, interests you, you know, even obsesses you. For him, it's that. For me, it's been this podcast for a while. I played soccer for 20 years. This is, or 21 years, actually. This is my first year of not playing soccer since I was nine years old, 2023. You mentioned, I can't remember his name. I think it might have been your uncle. You having that Palmer. And he just said, why don't you just go to training and see if you like it? And that led you to then, you know, playing in the VFL for St Kilda, which is pretty cool. If you hadn't gone to that training, you maybe never would have done that. But I'm just curious, like, did you have those interests or obsessions early on? Were you, like, obsessed with with basketball? I mean, you even said before, I wouldn't have maybe played basketball had I have known about football. But I'm wondering, yeah, if you had them and where do you think they came from, whereas your other sisters seemingly had completely different things that they were interested in. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would say I was obsessed back then. The more I think about it, I think I started basketball just because I wanted to be with my mates. One of my friends just said, hey, yeah, come down and play basketball. I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that was in primary school, so I just played after school basketball. It was a bit of fun. And then I did definitely enjoy it. I suppose to a degree I would, what some people would call obsessed because sport for me has always been prioritised over a lot of other events. Mm. Um I've missed, I missed a friend's wedding to play a game of footy. <laughs> yep. It was a Friday night and I, I chose to play footy over that, you know, so it was because at that stage I was fighting for my spot and I just got selected to be back in the squad and I didn't want to give that up. And mm. I'm very grateful for my friends, my family, because they're all very understanding that when I'm pursuing something that, that comes, that I, I prioritise that. And, yeah. you know, we, I had a conversation. I didn't just not turn up to the wedding, but we had a, <laughs> we had a chat and, She's like, all good. Yeah, I understand. And after the game, actually, I, I finished the game, shot off and went and I f- made it the very back end of the wedding. I spent probably half an hour there. Nice. So I still, you know, I'll, I make the effort where I can. But, yeah, I suppose in some ways people would call me obsessed. I just never really viewed it as being obsessed. It was just, cool, I committed to this and this is what I'm doing. Like I said, I was going to play basketball and, you know, you've got a birthday dinner, but I've got a basketball game. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I... Yeah, but I suppose I did because I kept pursuing and there was times I didn't get into squads and I just kept going, kept working. And then I think I became more obsessed later on, like as I reflect more on my footy journey. Yeah. I was probably a bit more then because, like I said, I, there was many games I didn't get selected. And here's a bit of where the, the mental toughness kind of came in is mm. as I was – I got selected for the first two rounds and – then after that, I got dropped and the coach supported me and said, they haven't done anything wrong. We've just got girls from the AFL that haven't made it and they're coming down and they're all backliners and so they're taking a spot. But you haven't done anything wrong. And that was kind of – that was hard because it, you haven't done anything wrong, right. yet you're not being selected. And then I thought, okay, cool. Well, as I reflected on the team, the backline wasn't just filled with AFL girls. There was a couple of VFL girls that were still selected – and good for them. I was happy for them. But I, my mentality was they're still being selected, which means that as a VFL player, I still have an opportunity to be selected. Yep. That just means that now I need to get to work and I need to do more in order to, when this situation happens again, that I'm selected. Mm. So for me, uh, I had some teammates being like, oh, it's not your fault. It's okay. It's all good. And they were like, you know, blah, 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 like trying to make me feel better. But I was like, no, there's a spot there that's available I'm going to take it. Yeah. And so from there, it was just doing extras. I would get to training early. I would train for an extra 
45 minutes to an hour before anyone else even got there. Mm. I was in the gym before people got there. I would go on non-training nights and one of my trainers, Dean, he, he actually was really good and he dealt me. He's like, Eb, like, let's, let's get together. We would get together on a Tuesday night and go do an hour, hour and a half session of skills and just doing all these things in order to get that edge, get ahead and then just do everything. So, you know, I was putting in a lot of extra hours outside of that and then eventually yeah. it paid off. Mm. Eventually my coach pulled me back in and said, Eb, you can make the squad. I can see all the extra work you're doing and it's starting to pay off. So... Yeah, I got back into the squad, but that wasn't because I just sat there and I was like, oh, well, this is out of my control. And it was out of my control, but what was in my control was how hard I worked and what I was willing to do in order to get back in. Mm. And I was willing to do the extra work to get back in. And so I suppose, yeah, I suppose some people call that obsessed, yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I think you can't do anything great without having those periods. And I think, you know, we would look at, these incredible sports people, these incredible people doing these amazing things and they've just been doing that for for years, for decades, right? And it's not to say that anything can't be, or something great can't be done in a short period of time, but definitely the longer you, you know, have that level of activity, the, the quicker you'll, you'll see those effects, those compounding effects, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Yeah, so that was in 2021 then, you get back into that team, where does that obsession, that obsessive energy, live in you now? Because without the running, I feel like you probably channeled it there. But where, where does it? Yeah, where, where's the output now? Yeah, well, the output now. The output now is going more towards me setting myself up for my future, yeah. and it's kind of focusing more on that. It's like, okay, who do I want to become as an individual? Mm. And outside of a, a sporting arena, because I've got a strong identity there and it's not in an arrogant way, but there's pretty much nothing that I that you could set me as a challenge to do physically, whether it's go for an Ironman or, and I'm definitely not there, but I know that I could train to do that. Sure. I know that there's, it, it would take me a while and I would have to commit to it, but I know that I'm capable of doing that. I know I can do that. So you get it done. Yeah. I'd get it done. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of as much as it's it's still a challenge, definitely that I'm not taking away from it at all. But it's a different kind of challenge to what I'm seeking now. Now it's kind of cool. Like let's step into another arena. Let's focus on another area of life where you can grow and develop yourself and challenge yourself in a new way. Because once you step into a different field, mm. it's completely different. Like you take a a business person that's excelled and at the top level. Like for them, running a marathon, they're like, I don't know if I can do that because they've focus their whole life on business, you know? And whereas you take an Olympic athlete, they know they can do it because they've spent their whole life training to be an Olympic athlete. But then you you see some of them and they become speakers and it's like, that's really far out of their comfort zone. It's like, can they they still have that thing of, can I do it? Not everyone, but some people will have that mentality of, can I do it? Yeah. And so for me now, it's stepping away from that sporting because I've, yeah, I was forced to, Mm. to a degree. It's still a choice, but, but I want my body to heal, so... Yep. Uh, it was a easy choice for me. For sure. And now it's stepping out of that, like, okay, cool. Like, let's focus on the person I want to become outside of sporting arena and and setting myself up so that way I can chase my dreams, I can chase my goals, and I can I can live a life that I, I'm envisioning for myself. Nice. So, yeah, that's where that energy is going. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, I, I just finished listening to David Goggins' second book, Never Finished. Okay. I finished it, huh? <laughs> gotcha, Goggins. But no, <laughs> shit joke, wow. <laughs> but 
like, and I feel like he touches on this in the audio book. I can't remember the exact idea, but I remember at least thinking this with these events that we do, like they're very measurable in terms of like, yeah, how long does it take to run a marathon or, or two bays or, you know, half Ironman or whatever. And they're very challenging and you can put in a lot of work and, and do it. And like you're saying, there's nothing you feel that you couldn't train for, which I completely, you know, agree with your sentiment. I feel like I'm there now as well. But I think something that is hard to quantify because it's not something you can measure with a time. Sure, you can measure it with money, but it's like, yeah, personal success. Not that money is a measure of that, but it is a measure of production. For example, money, wealth, however you want to call that. But, you know, pursuing things that allow you to live a life of, of freedom is sort of what I'm trying to chase. And it's then, then it's like, how do you quantify that? Like, because you you can't do 10 runs and, you know, get a better split, for example, or run at a better pace and see that to know that you're making progress. Whereas like if you're building a podcast or you're building a company or whatever the case may be, you could be doing the right things that are going to lead you to that success, but you may not know it. And I feel like so many people would give up on that journey. So many. And personally, I feel like I'm in a bit of that right now with this podcast. You kindly mentioned, yeah. you know, chasing down that 10,000, you know, podcast guest goal, which is, you know, is crazy to me. I haven't really put too much thought into that, to be honest, since putting it out into the universe. But those sorts of challenges, yeah, it's hard to quantify. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And if you're keen to share maybe what it, exactly it is you're, you're looking to, to build, whether it's the mission or your life in the future. Yep. Yeah, so I think if you just really break it down, and it's going to look different, but it's those daily things. What am I doing daily mm. that is getting me towards that bigger goal? So it's kind of there's, and for the podcast it might be weekly, whatever it is, it's adjusted to your own circumstance, right? But it's kind of generally speaking, there's things you can do daily. Whether it's well, there probably is things that you could still do daily. And this is just me projecting to you what's no, your life, please. but Miracle, you know, whether yeah. it's uh, reaching out to someone to organize the next podcast, to to chat to people, to look up different people's Instagrams or, or whatever whilst you're out and about meeting people. Okay, cool. Like getting all this data, I suppose, mm. you know, in order to then be like, cool, like this is going to be the next guest and then I, I want to have – and then you've got your list of people and it's just like bit by bit reaching out. It's just doing those little steps every single day that's going to get you towards it because 10,000 can seem daunting, I'm sure, totally. at times. But if you just think, okay, cool, like the next target's 150 mm. and it's just really starting to break things down. It's like, cool, well, this is my big goal. But then if I, as I break it down more and more, so like for me, like my big goal is to step away and, and have income flowing in without needing to have a job. Yep. So that's the big goal. But if I just think if I, like, how do you get there? Mm. So it's step by step breaking it down in order to start to do things. And I'm, I'm working with people, you know, in order to, to get me there. And I've got my, my set daily tasks that I'm doing and, and all these things and, it's just really breaking it down bit by bit. So I think if we start to focus on the small wins, the small wins is what brings us forward to then get the big win. Mm. And if we just, if like, if you just keep thinking about ten thousand, and you think I'm only at one one twenty, yeah, one twenty, yeah. <laughs> one twenty, ten thousand. That's a massive gap. But yeah. if you like break it down, you get one fifty is the next goal, mm. two hundred. Then maybe you know it's just like bit by bit. So I think if totally. if overall we start to break these things down into much smaller scales. And it's just like right here, right now, it's just 
cool, I'm just doing this podcast. It's like if I think back to my trail and it's just like one step at a time, just keep going. It's just it's just about getting to that next kilometre. Mm. And so now it's just using all these things. For me, I'm grateful for my experiences in running because they're what I'm using. And when I hit hard points, I'm like, okay, well, what did I do in that run? Mm. What did I do during training that allowed me to get to there? It's just I just had a, an attitude of it just gets done no matter what. Like, it didn't matter if it was, you know, 7 p.m. and I haven't been for my run yet. I'm going for a run. It's Friday night, okay? 7 p.m. I'm going for an hour run. Yeah. It's like you just got to get it done. And now it's just applying all those principles there. I love it. It's like a zero options mentality. Yeah, just it's just it there done. is no option. This is the only option. And listening to another one of your podcasts, I was listening to your interview with Ryder. Hmm. And, you know, she said at 4 a.m. she wakes up and she just doesn't think. She just gets up and goes. And I was reflecting on a lot of times when I was training for the marathon and it was, I had the same alarm. I had a 4 a.m. alarm because it's you know, the time I had to get up to get it all in. Yeah. And uh, my alarm would go off at 4 and there'd be some mornings, yeah, you do, you hear the wind, you hear the rain, you hear it all. And you lay there and you think, maybe I'll just go after work. And you think, but I've got to do this after work, this after work, also this. I don't have time to do after work. I have to do it now. And then you're up. <laughs> because it's just if you don't do it then well you would have time but you'd be going to bed at I don't like going to bed at midnight yeah you know? I'm like 9.30pm is good time for me yeah, 100% yeah so it's yeah you have that like we're all human we all have these thoughts and there was many times at 4am when I woke up and I, I did not want to get out of bed and I can tell you it's not appealing when there's wind and rain mm. and you know you're about to go in there um, and yeah you start a run and within the first 500 metres you've stood in massive puddles and your feet are entirely drenched and you think <laughs> Why am I out here? Yeah. But then you just, you keep going you're like, because I'm out here because I want to do this. And it's just now applying those same principles mm. in another area. I love it. What would then be an ideal day for you if you could pick one? Like if, if you're saying that it's the daily things, the small things that are going to get you there, what does that optimal day look like? And are you living that at the moment? Yeah. I would say I'm in really good flow at the moment. I've got... I'm consistently doing things every day. So for me, some of the basics is just really important. It's, it's important that I read every day, yep. feeding my mind. And it's important that I then also listen to some podcasts to just get some different perspectives, enjoy doing that. A big part for me is then choosing something each day that, that might challenge me. Yeah. Yep. So that can look slightly different each day. Uh, I know we've touched on before, but even going and talking to a stranger, you know, mm-hmm. For some people, that's easy. Yep. It's getting easier for me. Still not easy. I still do it, but it's not, you know, I, I'm tall. I've got good self-talk, so I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, things like that. And then it's just I've got set things that I do in order to help me progress forward that I, I'm doing daily as well and, awesome. you know, hitting a hitting a certain number. And it's just not setting that number too high because if you had – like if I said I wanted to go talk to 20 strangers a day when I – and if I think back to like a year or two ago when I hadn't even, when I was extremely extra shy and didn't talk to strangers at all. Yeah. Unless they spoke to me. Yeah. But if I said, I'm going to go out tomorrow and I'm just going to go speak to 20 strangers and then how do you maintain that daily? If you're just starting out, you might be able to do it for one day, but can you do this every day for the next, you know, month? Yeah. So rather than setting a goal of talking to 20 strangers today and then having no one for the next however long, just set the goal as one or two strangers, mm. you know, one stranger to start with and then build from there. That's, I'm just using that one as an example. No, but that's a good example, yeah. Yeah, you know, so then just from there and then, okay, cool, now you might be able to 
bump that up and now you're at a level where you can talk to five strangers and you could set that as your goal and it's like it's building but you have to start somewhere don't put your building blocks too too high where they're unattainable and unmaintainable for over a period of time because as you touched on before the compound effect is just doing those things daily so you're better off to read 10 minutes every day than to read for one hour today and then not for the rest of the week right yeah it's like building the muscle building the muscle yeah yeah the reps it all matters because yeah you could you can try to go out and run a marathon or two bays first time mouth taped (laughs) it ain't gonna happen more than likely no yeah yeah i love it one thing that i definitely didn't go back to i wanted to go back to but you mentioned living in the uk really got you out of your comfort zone you're 23 i think when you went over there and i'm curious to know because it's something that I sort of have had percolating in my mind for a little while now is moving overseas and specifically to the US where I do know more people than I probably would if I went to like a foreign country where they don't speak English, for example. But I still would go to a place that's much bigger than Melbourne where there's no one that I really know that well. Because even though I'm doing things like this where I am out of my comfort zone here in Melbourne, it's still the place that I grew up in, right? Similarly, like in, in terms of near where you live, actually, out, out towards the eastern suburbs. So I feel like I want to escape from that. I've never had, you know, two years overseas. I would love to know for you, you mentioned that, you, yeah, maybe we're shy, <laughs> no longer as shy. Definitely don't seem like a shy person to me, but I, I feel like we all go through that. But how much did you change in that, in that period of your life? Yeah, and I, I agree. I'm, I'm not shy anymore. I Once I was, but I've, one, changed myself, talk and done a lot of work on myself, so I wouldn't say I'm shy anymore, although mm. I can still have moments of being reserved. I wouldn't say I'm shy. Yeah. Yeah, very different. But, yeah, I suppose over there, yeah, I was well out of my comfort zone because I didn't, I didn't know anybody. Mm. I knew my one friend that I went with and then I started to know her family, and but they all had lives still, so, you know, so they weren't, it's not like I could just call them at any time of any day. Oh, I could have. They were very, very welcoming. Yeah. But, you know, they still had things that they were doing in their life is what I mean. Where, totally. yeah, like they might have been at work, So, but I didn't have a job at that stage. <laughs> yeah, so I suppose for me it's very hard because I'm a very different person now to what I was then and mm. things would be really different. So a big way I connected with people was, as I said, through drinking and I've been I'm just over a year and a half sober now. Huge. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so even that's massive different, whereas over there I don't even know if I made it more than two weeks sober. I did do some little challenges here and there. Yeah. But yeah, like most of the time it was I was out drinking four days a week. Yeah, you right. know? So yeah, but I, I suppose and I the main people I was meeting was in those kind of scenarios where it was just really different. I'm grateful for the experience and I did learn a lot about myself and, and different things and made a lot of great friends over there as well. Still touch base with a few of them. Mm. and yeah I think traveling for me was the big part was being able to see the different parts of the world and see those different cultures and things so you know I went to Spain and went to a few other places I went to a lot of places in Europe but yeah if I think about a few that I went to where I really made sure that I tried some of their cuisines and things yeah so I think as much as it did get me out of my comfort zone by the time I came back to Australia I fell right back in right and so yeah but I would highly recommend the experience because it did. It, it still changed something in me mentally, 
that you just can't get from doing some other things. And, you know, it is another level of, of growth. And if I was to do it now, I think I would actually do it a lot easier now and feel a lot more comfortable within myself than what I did back then because, yeah, I, I resorted to alcohol as a way of getting that confidence of, mm-hmm. of yeah, just masking my true feelings and things, I suppose. And, yeah, I, I don't think a lot of my drinking back then, there was definitely some fun times where it was that, but a lot of it too was also unhealthy, unhealthy drinking. Yeah. But, yeah, probably, yeah, it's been the last two years of going through the lockdown reassessing who I am, who I want to be, that that changed me there. But, yeah, I, I would say move overseas, do it, and start to experience just that different culture and different life because it's very different when you travel to a place as opposed to when you live in a different place because once you live somewhere else, you really get to mm. feel what it's like and see these different things and, yeah, and then you get to meet some really cool people along the way and, yep. yeah. But I wouldn't say that – I wouldn't say my massive growth came from that. All right that makes sense yeah yeah no it, it definitely seems like it maybe set you on that journey it didn't all culminate there and it's i think it's an ever ever never ending process really yeah definitely you know? definitely never ending yeah that's great this has been a fun conversation really appreciated it i would love to know you mentioned multiple times how much you love to read and listen to podcasts i don't normally do this not that it's that groundbreaking but if you could <laughs> Not recommend someone a book, but if you were to buy someone a book, if there's one that maybe you already have that you've literally gifted to people or even if you've thought, I would like to gift this to multiple people, what would that book be? That's a hard question because often it would depend on what someone, a need where I saw from a person of what they were wanting to get out of a book. Yeah. Limitless by Jim Quick is a really good one. I really, really like that. Atomic Habits by... James Clear. James Clear, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that was also really good just for for habits. Yep. Those two are some two really good books that I would recommend to a lot of people. Beautiful. And then anything outside of that would just depend. Like I think I've... I mentioned Breath by James Nesser and The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McEwan, but that would be people, especially The Oxygen Advantage would be... Yeah, more for especially if you wanted to go down that nasal breathing running. Yeah, definitely, definitely that one. Nice. Well, people are listening to this; they do breathe. I'm pretty sure. So check those out <laughs> if you want to improve that. But no, I've read uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Brilliant book. I've heard of Limitless, but yet to check that out. So I'll have to. I have a podcast that I recommend to so many people. This one particular episode. But is there anything that you have listened to multiple times, or maybe shared with friends over and over that? that really unlocked you that you might like to recommend with anyone listening? Yeah, there's not – I can't think of one that I've listened to over and over again. There sure. has been several podcasts that I've passed on and recommended to people, definitely. It's the same thing again, though. I just think it's yeah. it's all situational and depends on, on where people are at. I think some of the main ones I've listened to, like Mel Robbins is great. Yep. really like her and I think she resonates with a lot of people. Nice. I do really enjoy your podcast too. I've recommended, <laughs> I've recommended a few episodes uh, of yours, especially uh, the one with you and Nadia. Yeah, big one. I've recommended that to quite a few people. Appreciate um, it. Yeah, all good. And then I listen to a fair bit of Ed Milet too. Yep. Yeah. So oh, he's great. Yeah, those are probably my main ones that I listen to. There's there's more, but they're probably the main ones that I flick on. Yeah. Nice. 
I'll mention it now because I mentioned it just before asking that question. If people are curious, it's uh, episode 214 of the Tim Ferriss podcast with Debbie Millman and it's called How to Design a Life. And okay. I've, I reckon I've recommended that to easily 30 people, uh, you know, one-on-one situations as opposed to just calling it out. I think I might have mentioned it a few times on this podcast, so I think you'd love it. And yeah, if anyone's interested in that idea of how to design a life better, it's a game changer. Yeah, so, I'll give that a listen. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So ultimately why I wanted to start this podcast and you would know this question coming, you've listened to a few <laughs> episodes, but listening to guys like you, Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, various big podcasts back in the day, they had that question of what advice would you give to your younger self? So I believe we were born in the same year, 1992. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to know, Eb, you're 30. If you could project into the future as you're, I feel like where, you know, at that age where it's like you project, you know, go back. But yeah, if you could tell your 70 year old self, what advice would you give to, to her? It would be to just remember to have fun along the way and always tap into that inner child. Mm. Yeah, that'd be the advice. I thought about this question because I knew it was coming after having listened to a few of your podcasts. So yeah, it'd be, I think having fun and tapping into that inner child is a is a really impactful thing for us. And I think we, we move away from it a lot just because life starts to get serious. Mm. And, yeah, just remembering to have fun because, like, we're not having fun, what are we doing, you know? So I think it's yeah. as much as we've touched on a lot of probably more, like, serious moments and things, it's that's fun as well, you know, like running the marathon was fun. It's kind of you got to find enjoyment still in the things that we're, we're doing day to day. So... Mm. Yeah, like make it fun. Mm. That would be my advice. Yeah, have keep having fun and harness the inner child. Love that. Would you give any advice to the inner child? A lo- like a a young. I'm trying to think of what age Ebony we could go back to and <laughs> and talk to. Maybe the one when your when your parents split up. I feel like that's a big moment. Yeah, everything's gonna be okay. Mm. Just stay strong and and keep having fun along the way and and don't take things too seriously and don't worry about what other people think. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you might like to to add that I maybe haven't prompted yeah with the question? No, I think we've covered a lot, so I think that's that's all good. So yeah, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Linda there. See you. And there it is, another episode of the Hope Initiative. Thank you again to Ebony. It was a great chat and afterwards, as is normal for these in-person conversations, we had a good chat after pressing stop and Ebony shared with me something that I found interesting that I thought I'd share here was that she would like or is planning to live until 110, which would mean she's lived in three different centuries, which I think is pretty cool, being born in 1992, uh, like me. I've always had the idea that I'd be uh, 108 when I pass away. I'd love to make it to 108. So I would also uh, make that by the skin of my teeth. Probably would have skin on my teeth by that point. But uh, yeah, there you go. Thought a little (laughs) anecdote there uh, that I'd add. But yeah, thank you again to Ebony. And as always, if you've enjoyed this conversation, I hope you can share it with a family member or friend. Someone you think will get some value, some benefit from this chat. And as always, keep creating your life and all the very best.